Good evening. You are watching Think Tech Asia. My name is David Day, and we're going to be addressing the, the uh, rather unusual question about uh, whether or not Israel will be the next energy superpower in the world. And to help us with this discussion, uh, we've got Professor uh, Raphael Boritzer with us. I'm going to call him Rafi, if that's, that's all right with fine. you. That's fine. That's perfect. And um, for those of you in the audience who, who haven't seen one of uh, Rafi's fabulous shows, uh, tell the audience a little bit about your show, Rafi, and, yes. and when it's on so they know. Well, we meet at the same place every Monday at 3 p.m. right here on Think Tech Hawaii at Boritzer's Bio Briefings. And we talk about everything that has to do with development and pharmaceuticals, biology, pharmacology, uh, medicine, hospitals, biotechnology, all those good stuff. So today what we're going to do is we've captured uh, Rafi for a very different topic uh, than, he, than his regular shows. And uh, even though this is a Think Tech Asia show, think of the, 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 the Asia as, as we're pushing the envelope to the west, so Asia, west of Asia. And uh, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, Rafi is really a, uh, uh, a scholar of all things having to do with the Middle East. And um, uh, in addition to being uh, what we call a, a serial entrepreneur, if that's Thank a you. F fair description yes, of you, yes. you know, just, yes. you know, he has that, um, um, that special mentality that allows him to, to form uh, successful businesses and then move on to the next one, which is an incredible, incredible talent. But um, so one of the standing jokes that has been around for a long time uh, is that, that since uh, the founding of Israel in 1948, uh, mm. people joke around that, that Moses brought his people to the only place in the Middle East that, uh, uh, or the one spot that had no oil. And uh, this turns out maybe not to be correct after all. And the, because the flip side of that is maybe Israel has got more energy than she really knows what to do with. And we want to be drilling down into that conversation today with Rafi. So um, kind of to get things uh, uh, started, you know, Rafi, I know that... that um, you do a lot of consulting work having to do with maritime security here in the mm -hmm. Pacific, on into the Indian Ocean, as well as in the Middle East. And, and you are really an expert on the whole field of geopolitics in the Middle East. So let's focus kind of at the beginning of this show a little bit on the oil and gas sector. And let's go dive right down into the, the whole situation involving uh, these recent discoveries in Israel. And... Uh, uh, control room, if you could bring up uh, uh, photograph number two, if we could here. Uh, mm -hmm. Okay. And so, um, Rafi, we've we've got before the audience here a, a, a picture of the major Israeli offshore gas fields. Mm -hmm. And uh, how about just describe the 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 nature of the the recent energy finds in Israel? Well, I think that uh, to call it recent is perhaps a little bit of diminutive because uh, Israel has been uh, looking for um, petroleum resources, natural gas, oil, and so on, for a long time. And just to expand on what you said, that, that um, they perhaps say did not get their fair share of oil when the good Lord gave uh, oil to everybody in the neighborhood, I think that <laughs> Moses, when he went to get the tablets, I think uh, God was telling him that he was going to send the Jewish people to Canada. 
And Moses preempted him and said, Canaan, Canaan, Canaan. <laughs> well, so so be it. Okay. You know, if you don't okay. let the God finish off what he wanted to say, you <laughs> end up in the wrong place, in a bad place in time. And, and for years, many people couldn't understand in the Middle East, how is it that all the countries in the neighborhood, if you look at the map, uh, you, we don't see it quite extended there, but if you look at North Africa, you see that the oil fields stretch uh, pretty much almost from Algeria to, to right, right. Morocco to and so on towards Egypt. And even Egypt was blessed with a good oil supply. Uh, and if you look at, at the... And com- even on, on westward from Egypt as well. Those countries that's, what, that's what I'm talking yeah. Morocco, Algeria, Everybody, Tunis, uh, and Libya. I mean, we talk about Gaddafi. He was sitting on a big playground, a big oil field, uh, his own Exxon station, so to speak. And and if and if you look uh, further down, if you yeah, look, okay. yeah, down at the, if you go south of uh, Israel, and you look down and next to uh, separating uh, Israel across the Gulf of Aqaba is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia again blessed with perhaps the biggest reserve in terms of oil in the Middle East. So Israel said, hey. We are deserving of something that's got to be in the middle. And they kept looking. And there was a, a site called the Chelets and all kinds of places. They looked for all types of resources came up dry. They looked in the Sinai because in the Gulf of Suez in Egypt, right, maybe a few hundred miles to the west of uh, the Israel-Egyptian border on Sinai, there is the Gulf of Suez. And if uh, I've sailed up the Red Sea on my way from Hawaii with my boat, and what I discovered there was that it was almost a minefield. It was derricks every place till you got to the beginning of the Suez Canal. So they had oil. Everybody's having oil. Israel punished. Nothing. Dry. Dry as a bone. curse, if you like, you know. <laughs> okay. But I don't want to stretch that because it, when you look also further north, when you look at the Lebanon and Syria, they didn't do so hot either, and neither did Jordan. So it was a whole area that seemed to be fairly dry in terms of oil resources. And yet, if you go further east, we've got Iraq and, and the Qatar and the Exxon Station. And just those three areas, they're perhaps dry. So they looked around, they, uh, and they did come continuously dry. And um, I think it has to do with the forecast. Back in the 50s and 60s, uh, who went looking for oil? Exxon, Shell, uh, you know, the big companies could afford. And they only went looking when there was a reason to suspect there was going to be uh, a find. And I think that the technology has advanced a long way. Sure. Okay? And if you look even in America, who would have thought that America would become almost a superpower or self-indulgent or self-supporting in terms of uh, energy resources just in the last five to ten years? What happened? Technology happened. What happened? Computers happened. Satellite imaging, infrared imaging, where you could start identifying things. The ability to extract from shale oil, or what we call fracking. All these play, the technologies, is what made it possible to start looking anew, having a new outlook, having a new uh, viewpoint. Hey, wait a second. And that uh, started to bring to uh, Israel and Jordan as well the ideas that perhaps... There's more here than meets the eye, especially underground. So and, and so and so we get we get a situation coming up historically, mm-hmm. stopping short of the most recent developments that we're going to talk about, where uh, Israel has got what? Before we get into like the last five ten years, 
let's say, if we well, take, if we take, uh, if we take uh, from 2000 yeah. to go back, what, what, is, what is the energy situation it's, it's look like? It's terrible, terrible. Israel uh, had to sell its uh, ge- uh, geopolitical soul, so to speak, make all kinds of deal to be able to develop, first of all, its energy needs, which for 8 million people, and it was before 6 million people, is not a lot. So they were using coal-fired? They were using coal-fired for electricity. Right, okay. At the beginning of the state, there were many uh, uh, power outages. First of all, because the state didn't have enough money to finance the original uh, establishment of the state of Israel, didn't have enough money to pay for energy, even though at those days it was still $2 a barrel out of Saudi Arabia. But guess what? When you've been at war with seven countries in your neighborhood, they're not likely they're not to going, sell to you. They're not yeah. going to be selling okay. to you. Okay, okay. And, 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 and it affected also the resources that were available to Israel to buy elsewhere because it... There was pressure. The Arab countries put pressure on other suppliers being in the cartel since Saudi Arabia was the biggest. You had an effective boycott. You had a boycott. Of okay, so, so, you know, if we fast forward just a little bit on the, the natural gas side, mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to get, get so the audience sees the, the picture of the energy mix that Israel uh, has. My understanding is that when the Arab winter occurred, it wasn't a spring. I promise you it wasn't a spring. And, and, and Morsi <coughs> came into power. At that moment in time, what he did was chop off the natural gas supply that Israel was buying from Egypt at mm-hmm. that time. And Israel took a hit of like 40% of their, their natural gas needs for the country. Is that about correct? Well, what happened is Egypt developed its uh, gas resource about the same time that at Actually, they went into a peace treaty with Egypt back in 79 under Anwar Sadat. Okay. A kind of a confluence of events, political, technological, and uh, energy events all coming together. So part of the deal with the return of the Sinai was that the Egyptians would sell via a pipeline uh, uh, natural gas to Israel and also to Jordan. Uh, because things in the Middle East have changed considerably since the Brits left in 1949. When they left Palestine, which is, became Israel, they also left all the other regions. It was the effective end of the mandate. The whole Middle East changed. People often don't reflect because there were no uh, international warfare in the neighborhood, but there were internation warfare within each country, and all this affected the energy availability every place else. So when we, before we get to the, the relatively recent mm-hmm. discoveries that we're going to talk about here, the picture that you're painting, Rafi, is of, of a country that, that is, number one, energy dependent. Right. Uh, and energy dependent on some rather troublesome suppliers. Uh, by troublesome, I mean both troublesome and also not reliable. And, and, uh, and their energy mix was pretty old-fashioned. You know, well, the, the let, me tell, let me is that, is that throw right? something into the mix here, because we have to look at where the, the fuel was coming from. Israel's original big supplier was Iran until Interesting. 1979. Interesting. What happened then? <laughs> okay. Wait, you see, people, unfortunately, in America, they, they focus on the prisoners that were taken hostage right, right. in Iraq. But they don't understand that the whole Middle East changed forever with that event. This is with the Ayatollah. Right, well, okay. with the Ayatollah. And you have to remember, most Americans think that that was the beginning of America knowing Iran. 
No, it was uh, the CIA knew Iran back in 1952 when they replaced uh, the government in Iran through uh, all kinds of machinations and put the Shah in power. They reset up the em- the empire of Iran, the Persian Empire, in effect, so he would be the new pliable um, uh, magistrate of Iran. Now that changed all things. This made it very possible from 52, let's say, till 79, till the Iranian Revolution, for the West and Israel amongst those countries to be able to do deals to develop Iran. Iran actually developed during that period under the Shah, even though politically it was coercive, but in terms of a civilization, they came back. And so this sets the picture in Iran. Where else did Israel get the fuel from? Venezuela. You think they could get some today from Venezuela? Probably Uh, not. Probably not, right. And so you always have to look at what are the forces in geopolitics. The Egyptians wouldn't sell any fuel to Israel until a peace agreement with Sadat when they got Sinai back that was conquered in 1969. So all these events. Saudi Arabia would never sell because they were the leaders. Uh, How could, you know, uh, the head of the Islamic... Cartel. Cartel, so to speak, yeah. given to them. And, and they had America. They didn't need more. They didn't have to be compliant and pliant. You know what? Hold that thought because we're going to come back. We're going to take a break at the moment. This, I, I know this is a fascinating conversation to all of you. We're going to be drilling down more with uh, uh, Rafi Bortzer, Dr. Rafi Bortzer, on the issue of will Israel be the next energy superpower? And when we come back after the break, Wait until you find out what the recent discoveries of Israel are in terms of magnitude. It will blow your mind. See you on the other side of the break. Castle and Cook, Hawaii. Investing in Hawaii, creating communities, and providing for the needs of our state. Collateral Analytics. Empowering the real estate industry to make better informed property investment decisions. The Foreign Trade Zone bringing the benefits of the Foreign Trade Zone programs to Hawaii businesses and entrepreneurs. Galen Ho, a senior executive of BAE Systems, a global defense, security, and aerospace company. Hawaiian Electric Company and its affiliates Maui Electric and Hawaii Electric Light Company on Hawaii Island. The Hawaii Energy Policy Forum, incorporating diverse perspectives to design a flexible and forward-looking energy strategy. Hawaii Energy, the state's energy and efficiency program created to help Hawaii's residents and businesses adopt a clean energy lifestyle. Hawaii Gas, helping Hawaii achieve its transition to clean energy and a better energy future. Hawaii Pacific Health, bringing technology and teamwork together to transform healthcare in Hawaii. The High Tech Development Corporation, attached to DBED, is the state's leading technology agency. The Scheidler Family Foundation, supporting educational, cultural, and charitable organizations, including ThinkTech. We're back. This is ThinkTech's Asia, and in this particular program, we are pushing the definition of Asia out west, way out into the Mediterranean. And our special guest is Dr. Rafi Bortzer, uh, a, uh, a known bon vivant of the Middle East, I think, and could say that. A, something like that, a serial entrepreneur and also uh, a, 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 a real, as, you, as you, if you've been watching this program, a real scholar on history and geopolitics of the Middle East, and we're going to take advantage of all of that in, in looking at this. 
Uh, right before the break, Rafi, you were talking about uh, uh, pieces of the history of mm-hmm. the development of uh, classical fossil fuels in the Middle East. And why don't we pick up there so we get we finish giving the audience the, okay. the kind of the, the historical picture before we move into the the current. Situation. I think I think what I would like to mention is people often think that once you discover oil, now you're a rich man. It's they think like in terms of Oklahoma, Texas. Right, right, right. You're, you're driving. He says, okay, I'm going to sign a contract with Shell. They'll send a truck over and we'll put a pipeline to the next Shell distribution center. In the real world, it's not like that. Because distribution is the probably more important than the product. Because what do you do when you have the product? You can't eat it, you can't store it, and you can't refine it unless you have all these huge infrastructures. So even before Israel had developed an oil field on its territory, well, there was a refinery because it used to buy unrefined product from Iran. The refinery was built by the Brits in Haifa. Uh, if you look at the map, you'll see right uh, over... Let's go back to... to which, what, what do we need to look well, at? Let's like look at map number one, the Times-Israel natural gas there. Uh, okay. Map two, I'm sorry, map two. Map two, yeah, okay. And so you're... Okay, so you can see, when you look right in the center where you see a line, the line coming in, and see the word Dalit right under there, that's approximately a few miles north of Haifa. Haifa I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, hold one second, Rafi. Let's go uh, three, control baby. room to, to uh, visual number three, and maybe this yeah. will help the office audience a little better. Okay, so right under the sign where it says Israel, if you can see that little hook right over here, okay, that is actually the port of Haifa. Okay. Which has the refinery and the, basically the industrial center when the, the, when the uh, British Empire controlled the Middle East. That used to have a pipeline that goes all the way to Iraq. And the Brits were pumping because the Brits also controlled the whole Middle East under the mandate that was given in 1921 after the end well, of World, World War I. One. Right. So they've got all these things. But again, what are they going to do with this stuff? It's black stuff. You want to ship it cheap. Everything has to go. You don't want to ship it all the way from uh, Iraq going all the way down the Persian Gulf, Arab Gulf, whatever you want, down to Yemen, then up north to Suez. All the places are choke points where you can, the oil could be held up in case of crisis, which it sure. was in the Suez War in 1956, when Israel, the French, and, and the British attacked uh, the Suez Canal in Egypt under uh, Ibdel Gamal Nasser, who was the prime minister of Egypt. So all these events, the history, the delivery, the sourcing, the power, the storage, all go into the oil equation. So let me bring it up a little bit up to date. And all this also, who's going to discover where the oil is? So they didn't find it on land. They, they, so now we're back to the earlier point. They're searching and searching, searching and searching nothing, and nothing. And nothing. coming up dry. And then, then you know, you it's go like to Shell. You oil in Manhattan. You go, right. You go to Shell, which is a Dutch company. You go to Mobil. You go to Exxon, Esso, all these companies. And they say, hey, you got a reserves? Show us some maps. Show us where the oil is. Show us where the gold is. And you got nothing because you don't have the two, three billion dollars to do exploration. Also, when they go to Shell, the Israelis go to uh-huh. Shell, Mobil, and Exxon, isn't there a reluctance of those companies to work with of the Israelis? Of course, because Saudi Arabia, the king, uh, they, the king hears, say, those Israelis are going to uh, Shell. Let me get the president of Shell on the phone. He says, 
Hey, you want us to renew those contracts? You have you we have proven reserves for the next 150 years? Oh, you do? Well, I suggest you don't speak anymore to the Israelis. They're, you know, let it go. So, I mean, this is real politics. It happens all over the world. Happened in Venezuela. Happens everywhere. So Israel is dry. So Here's Israel dry. is dry. Okay. Okay. So what happened to make the difference? Well, it, it, so someone did the most. The technology developed, and you can always, and also technology in America, the fracking and the shale oil and all this, and suddenly the Israeli Ministry of Energy decided that they were going further research and see what they can do. They go back to Texas. They hit Shell. They hit a few other places. They hijack a few uh, people who are willing to live in Israel and work on the project and be entrepreneurial. And lo and behold, the first team discovers shale oil right on the Jordanian border with Israel. A and this is a significant discovery. Significant discovery. Now, now, shale oil is a little more difficult. It's not like, you know, just take a shovel and bingo load right, the trucks. Right, but out. the technology is there to the pull it. The technology has developed over time, and suddenly in the last five, six years, bingo, it's possible. So what, what, what we know about that particular energy deposit, Rafi, the, the shale oil, let's, let's, go back to, uh, let's go back to this map number, number three, right. if we can. And so you're talking about a discovery that comes from the Lebanese, Lebanese border down the coastline, right? Right. On land. Right. This is the On first. Land, this right. is this, and this. I understand, ladies and gentlemen. This this particular map you're looking at is is focused on offshore natural gas uh, uh, blocks. But what uh, Dr. Borter is talking about is a shale oil discovery of a magnitude that. Is something like what, Rafi? In term, do you remember the, the approximate number? I, I think they they were talking uh, the self sufficiency for a hundred years, basically. So so the number that I saw was in the the, the oil, two hundred and fifty billion barrels, which is roughly equal to the known reserves of Saudi Arabia. Right now. Follow this conversation, ladies and gentlemen, because this is the starting point for our conversation today. Dr. Bortzer has just talked about one little piece of what Israel has discovered, and that he's talked about he's talking about the the onshore fracking possibilities equal to the reserves of Saudi Arabia. Think about that because there are some serious political ramifications of that, geopolitical, that we'll get to later in the show here. Let's transition now to the the area of natural gas, Rafi, because um, we'll keep. We'll come, let's come back to this map uh, number number three, if we can. Um, tell us about the the natural gas discoveries. Okay, there were several attempts to look for natural gas. None of them successful. Again, it's the dry paddle. <laughs> it's a dry paddle. And if you look at the map, you'll see that offshore of is from Israel is a country we call Cyprus, which is about 90 miles from the very refinery I discussed in Haifa. At the same distance as Cuba is from Miami. Okay. We are talking a very small distance. In fact, a woman has made a swim. swim exactly, <laughs> okay. swim. Okay. So anybody can swim. And uh, lo and behold, the technology suddenly made... They are able to convince Shell Oil and a few other potential partners to at least talk to the Israel Ministry of Energy. They find also capital to invest in the exploration 
and bingo, they start discovering really enough to sustain Israel at least for a long, long time. Okay. And that has always been the Israeli dream, uh, energy self-sufficiency. And enough to pay because here's the big problem. It's not enough, as I said, to get the gas. You've got to get it to someone who's going to use it. Okay, you got to move it. You got to move it. And so let's go to uh, one possibility that's being talked about, and that's uh, uh, visual number 4A, if we could, uh, control room. And so we've got here, the, the red line is, is something that, that doesn't exist today, uh, so far as I know, Ravi, but we're, we're talking about Israel with jointly working with, with Cyprus, uh, taking a pipeline right into the Italian boot. Right, right. Uh, you know what? This whole thing was just a mere pipe dream. <laughs> so Excuse me, yeah, so to speak. But when you look at the events that happened in the Ukraine in the last few weeks, suddenly there are a lot more ramifications. There are a lot more potentials, not only for sales, but also for conflict. And I think that this suddenly gets not just a regional perspective, suddenly it gets a global perspective when we look at who the players are. You know, one of the things uh, before we before we move into the whole geopolitical ramifications mm -hmm. part of this conversation, which I which I want to have with you, one of the things that that is uh, is is almost mind blowing is that with this oil. Uh, shale dis discovery along the coastal plain that puts Israel undeveloped, but but with reserves on a par with Saudi Arabia, and that that, ladies and gentlemen, is for for a lot of you in the audience, that's news. That's something that that the media hasn't hasn't brought out. They don't bring out very very many positive things about Israel, but that is that is absolutely astounding. And then you've added on to that. These, these enormous natural gas finds out in the Mediterranean between Israel and Cyprus, the Tamar field and the Leviathan field, which, you know, it's, it's something in the 30 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. So you get, you get energy reserves that are unbelievable, and yet Israel is a very small little country. So Eight million people. Eight million. So they're set... Yes. But they gotta they gotta export in order to develop that though, right? You can't you, you can't gotta, just hog uh, it off yourself. Right. You gotta control it. One of the big issues in Israel politically, internal politics, is Israel wanted to be self sufficient and suddenly people talking about export, getting rid of this stuff. And everybody said, No, we gotta have enough for the, our children and grandchildren. Well now there is enough theoretically for children and grandchildren, as long as natural gas still continues to be a viable fuel because there are questions in global warming right, right, also right. It's less than coal, but it's still a dirty fuel because it burns and creates methane in the air. But the real question is, and what I want you to consider, aside from that, I want you to think about a, a word that starts with Q. Cuba. Q. <laughs> no. Q. You know what I'm talking about. Qatar. Qatar. How many of you have watched Al Jazeera? The channel, the international global channel that's now on Times Warner Television. You can see it continuous. All American newscasters, or British, the top newscasters. The, the news, I would say, is, is pretty objective. But how, who is Qatar? When was the last time you went to Qatar? 
I've never been to Qatar. Well, I was there about three years ago. But most people don't go there. But everybody knows the name somebody. Why? Because Qatar, which is the size of Oahu, has perhaps, well, I'm exaggerating a little, but has as much wealth as the whole Arab world put together. And suddenly they create a worldwide television network. Suddenly they're dictating to the king of Saudi Arabia. They're telling him what they are not going to do. Imagine a little country where I think they have as many people as Maui. Imagine the ramifications of... And they have natural gas. Imagine what you've just said that Israel could do. That's what I'm telling you. Okay, hold it. Power! Power to the people! Hold on a second. We're going to go to a break, ladies and gentlemen, but before we do, uh, those of you that have your uh, Bibles handy, why don't you pull out Deuteronomy 33.19? And when you do that, look at this discussion that I'm having with... uh, Dr. Boritzer, and then look at the language in Deuteronomy. It says, they will feast on the abundance of the seas and on the treasures of the sands. We'll be back after this break. I'm Jake Fidel. That's Sharon Moriwaki of the Hawaii Energy Policy Forum. And every Wednesday, we have Hawaii, the state of clean energy. We've been doing it for some time now, and we have some fantastic guests on there, unbelievable guests who give us insight into what is going on in a very complex, sometimes very confusing, sometimes very disappointing <laughs> area of, of progress in the state. So we love doing this. We love meeting them. We love talking to them. We love having their ideas out on the table. So maybe, just maybe, we can all make some sense of what's going on. Sharon, what do you Thing. I think that's absolutely correct. We enjoy we enjoy ourselves meeting with all these people and hearing about the energy and the state of clean energy and hopefully we advance clean energy for the state. So it's terrific. Join us. Okay, it's every Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday is Energy Day. Every energy Wednesday, Wednesday, four to five p.m. Hawaii, the state of clean energy here on Think Tech Hawaii. Energy we'll Wednesday. see you there. I'm Jake. Feinberg. We are back, and you are watching the question. How you watch a question is another thing, but we want to find out, will Israel be the next energy superpower? Our special guest in the studio, we've pried him away from his regular show, is Dr. Rafi Boritzer, a general bon vivant, serial entrepreneur, and a man who knows everything about the Middle East there is to know. And so, Rafi, with that as a uh, humble introduction, uh, I Thank could you. do more, but uh, good enough for government work, as my, <laughs> my father used to say. Um, let's talk about this this potential rise of Israel as an energy uh, energy power now you know we we know that she's got the reserves she's got uh, the attention of uh, s- some significant investors out of the United States uh, noble energy out of Houston Texas and uh, starting to produce at that Tamar uh, platform which uh, ladies and gentlemen you just you just saw there um, that's a uh, Control room. Let's come back to uh, number 1A for just a second. That's the Tamar uh, platform. That's producing a billion cubic feet of natural gas a day right now. And so Israel is not even warming up yet. Engine hasn't hit operating temperature in terms of her energy production. Let's shift now, Rafi, to what does this really mean? You know, I'm glad the, that you asked. You know, most, most mothers, if they were like my mother, used to say, before you get married, what do you know about the family, the friends, and the neighborhood? And I say the same thing to Israel. 
be careful before you get married to anybody check out again who's living in the neighborhood who their fr- her friends are and who are the relatives and Israel is in a very peculiar situation because whatever step it makes in terms of decisions that have to do with the use of the oil resources they're going to make friends and offend some other people you bet so the first question that comes up now is we I keep hinting at this maybe more than hint but I say it's not enough to have the oil or the natural gas you've got to distribute it and the question is yes it has a lot of reserves but until 2017 or 2018 those reserves will not be able to be used in large quantities why you have to collect them you have to ship them you have to process it so there's already a plant off the coast I believe it's either off Ashdod or off uh, uh, Caesarea uh, and Hedera, where they, they process the natural gas. But this not is a, f- a floating platform. Right, floating platform. But the real serious stuff, the real movement where you can make money from natural gas, you've got to get quantity. So you've got to build either two things. Either you do pipelines or you're going to have a processing plant near the wells and actually they're distributed from there. This is to kick it into liquid form. Right. The problem is that it's the kind of investment that Israel's economy could not sustain sustain without partners. Okay, so so there's got to be a marriage. That's where you're going. That's what I'm talking about. So once you get into a marriage, now comes the question. You know, it's easy to get married. It's also easy to get divorced today. It's not like, you know, that uh, they're going to hang you if you leave the marriage. And so consequently, before you get into the marriage bed, so to speak, you have to decide who you want it to be. So if you're going to go with the distribution locally, that means all you have to do is build, I'm being simplistic, all you have to do is build a pipeline from the fields, get it into Israel, distribute. Okay. Now, that's ideal in terms of political control. In terms of political control, to distribute it, you can distribute it from Israel to the Palestinian Authority. You can distribute it back to Egypt. You can distribute it to Syria or Lebanon. I'm being hypothetical at this point well, because but, we don't but, know. But, but or or Jordan, which is even more important because Jordan is an ally of Israel. All right, hold so, on a yeah. second. Uh, you're not really talking theoretical on all of this. None of no. it is theoretical because Israel today supplies Jordan right. with natural gas. And there are contracts out with, with Palestine exactly. today. Exactly. And with, right. Israel, uh, with Egypt today? Is there a contract? Well, Egypt, it's one way, but they keep blowing up their pipeline. But, I mean, at some point, we'll be needing energy. You're talking about okay. over 60 billion million people that need to develop in the next 50 years. It's not going to help, even if you wish them away. They're not going away. They're going to need a lot of resources, technologies, they're going to need the support that Israel can give uh, to them. And, all right, and, let's and, focus on Jordan for a minute okay. now. So, so, right. so now we got the we uh, we know that Jordan, the the royal family in Jordan is is in a kind of shaky political. Group. Always been, yeah. Always been. Now this alliance with Israel, stapled together by by energy, does that help the royal family in Jordan? Do you think? I think it would take the pressure off the Jordanians perhaps um, discomfort with is there natural gas coming from Egypt across the Sinai across Israel to Jordan or do we have to depend upon the Iraqis or do we have to depend upon someone else like Saudi Arabia 
Here there is a guaranteed source that they know is reliable. All right. So, Rafi, think of this yeah. as if you and I were putting out one of these, these big puzzles on the table. So we, we have the Israeli energy piece right. in the center. It's sort of like laying a tile floor in your kitchen. The most important one that you put down is the first one. Right. So we have this piece. If the second piece is, in fact, Jordan, how do the other Arab countries react to that? Well, this is the most wonderful thing that's happening. You know, this is the good news. You know, the good news, the good news is that not only is the world in flux, but the Middle East is in a huge transition. And there's huge changes going to be. And I would even dare say that Iran is now considering, is it going to be a developer of this distribution network together with Israel across the Middle East? Wait, say that again. Iran is thinking, what's the next step? Does it go along with Syria and compete with an Israeli network? Or does it join the Israeli network so it doesn't have to be a competitor but a supplier? Is that a serious... Because I don't know. I don't, is that a serious... You know what? If someone would have said that to uh, the uh, gang that, were, that installed the Shah of Iran, that this would be a possibility, people would have said they're crazy. They're nuts. But in effect, the U.S. and Israel built the uh, economy of Iran in the early 50s. And that's what got the uh, Ayatollah and those boys so excited about everything. So things in the Middle East right now, everything is in play. You know, we know where the danger spots, we know where the cracks in the, in the infrastructure is and with the Syrians and okay. the instability of Iraq and so on. The question is, how do you... What, what's the new scenario of the Middle East? Because we have definitely seen the Saudi power is perhaps kind of resting, uh, you know, transitory at this point. They there are too many competitors. And they've got dirty oil. Qatar has natural gas. Israel may have natural gas. What's, what's happening? What's changing here? A lot is changing because also Libya has natural gas. But Libya is unstable. So what is going to unify all these areas in some level? Is there going to be this? Well, what's, this what's, your, what's your prediction? For, for, for just focus on the Middle East now. I, think, I think that the, traditionally, and I've stated this on, on uh, this uh, channel before, the, uh, the whole realignment in the Middle East will produce uh, pivoting between Egypt, Iran, and uh, uh, Iraq. Realignment. All the time they're jockeying for position, and uh, the Ottoman Empire in Turkey, Israel is very solid, even though it doesn't seem like that from the newspapers with the Ottoman Empire. I think Israel and uh, Turkey will be solid. The question is what role, is, traditionally the Egyptians have been the, the balance, but what role Iran will play in this? Let's, uh, let, me, let me pose a question to you yeah. before we go to the break, Rafi, so you can think about it. Um, uh, when we come back from the break, let's shift the geop geopolitical crosshairs, if you will, mm -hmm. the sights from the Middle East into the current situation that we see, the Ukraine and into the EU. And when we come back after the break, let's okay. look at the, the possible ramifications of this explosive energy development in Israel upon the EU and how their, um, their perception of Israel might shift. Well, okay, that's a good we'll point. Do, do that. That's we'll a good see you point. on the other side of the break. Hi, I'm Attila Saras, host of Next Big Thing, 
the Think Tech Show, where we give people a place with great ideas, a chance to share them with the world. Be sure to tune in this Friday from 4 to 4.50 p.m., and I will see you there. Aloha, I'm Maria Kashem of Think Tech Hawaii, and I want to tell you about our Think Tech talk shows. If you didn't know it, Think Tech streams video and audio for all of its shows live on the Internet from 2 to 5 p.m. every weekday afternoon, and we replay them all night long on Ustream.tv. Visit ThinkTechHawaii.com for our live stream and YouTube links. Raise your awareness on ThinkTech. I'm Maria Kashem, and I'll see you there. Aloha, I'm Jay Fidel of ThinkTech. We have some news for you. In addition to our ThinkTech TV show and our Asia in Review show on Olelo 54, as of January 1st, we're adding Community Matters to play also two hours a week. Check out thinktechaway.com for the specific times of each of these shows. We hope you enjoy all three. Mahalo, I'm Jay Fidel. We're back. You're watching Think Tech Asia. Our special guest is Dr. Rafi uh, Boritzer, professor, serial entrepreneur. And at the break, we were talking about a, a shift in the, the whole geopolitical uh, ramifications of this enormous, enormous uh, energy finds in Israel. And uh, what we want to do for, for this beginning of this, this segment, Rafi, is what does this mean for Europe and its perceptions of Israel? So let me, let me throw some things that are happening with Europe and Israel. Okay, uh, because of the dissonance in the uh, peace talks that the Secretary Kerry has tried to get going between the Palestinians and Israelis, and I think he's getting a little disgusted, and I, I really don't blame him, because I know the players he has to deal with. It's like taking uh, kids to kindergarten while fighting among themselves all the time, but, you know, they got to get through school one way or another. The uh, fine in Israel makes Israel a player in a way that is going to disturb certain countries. It's going to disturb those people who are currently supplying energy like from Russia. the Middle East. Well, let's start the Middle East. We talked about okay. that. So the Middle East is going to feel effect. Maybe not Saudi Arabia, uh, maybe not Iran because they're big players. But everybody else, you know, the, the smaller players, the smaller distributors, I'm sure the Qataris are not worried because they've got a trillion, trillion, trillion uh, worth of gas. But... The Europeans, which like to take a, a moralistic position in terms of what's happening in the Middle East, a judgmental position more correctly, uh, they may be cut off from Russia, either for right. political reasons, trying to be allied with the United States, or for... Uh, pricing. Pricing, or being shut out because they supported Ukraine, or because they suddenly, the Turks, decide that maybe they don't need the oil from Kazakhstan and across the Caspian Sea, those pipelines they are building now, and they don't need the oil from Russia, maybe it's a better bet to get this stuff coming through Israel. Now, many people think that Israel and Turkey are at war. No, they're not at war. They're at what we call a newspaper war across, you know, the media. <laughs> and those are the easy wars. No one gets really hurt or killed most of the time. Control room, let's go back to uh, number 4A, right, yeah. if we could, visual 4A, just for our audience uh, so that you can follow right. what uh, Dr. Boritzer is saying. One of the ways that Israel might supply energy, both oil and natural gas, this is a natural gas proposal here, into Europe would be through this pipeline that goes uh, Haifa, Cyprus. Either Turkey or directly to Greece. Or, or into, into uh, Italy someplace. Okay, so, 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 where, so where are we now? So now, remember we talked a few minutes ago, maybe about 20 minutes ago, we talked about the distribution with the natural right, gas. Right. So if you decide 
that you are going to do pipelines. Pipelines are expensive. But you can now suddenly destroy someone's economy like the Russian economy of distribution because the uh, Russian economy is all extractive. It's all based on oil, natural gas, getting, selling, not development. But if Israel starts building pipelines, suddenly that subverts the Russian eco-political machine. But Russia likes to count on Israel as a friend. But it's a very strange friendship because Russia is also friends of Iran and Syria. And, but so sometimes Russia can act as an intermediary. And if suddenly Israel bypasses it and allows fuel to get to the Europeans without having to uh, pass the Russian roadhouse, tax roadhouse, and control, politically right, control right, right. roadhouse, who's our friend? You're not our friend anymore. And, and on and on and on. So this has actually geopolitical consequences. Well, Rafi, let me pour some gasoline yeah, on these flames. So. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> A little bit. I'll light her up. All right. On Tuesday of this week, yeah. Russia's state-owned enterprise, Gazprom, made an announcement that it was jacking up the price for natural gas to the Ukraine by 44%. Now, I don't know what the ramifications of that price hike are for the rest of Europe because the 18 or so pipelines that go through the Ukraine go on to Europe for natural gas. Uh, and I don't know whether it's, you know, the, the, there's a way to, that only the Ukraine is going to pay. But the interesting part of that move is that I looked up uh, this morning before we did our show the corporate report for Gazprom, which is the largest company in Russia and, in fact, one of the largest globally. Right. And, and they have been taking enormous losses because their whole system is so inefficient. So now they got a 44% price hike to the Ukraine. And I ask you, who's going to pay for that? It's not the Ukrainians. They're bankrupt. Right. They, have not, they don't have any money. So, so as a result of a foreign policy geopolitical bungle right. Right. involving Ukraine and the Crimea, it seems to me that the EU and the U.S. are going to be on the hook via loans to replenish yeah. Gazprom's coffers, if you will. I think it's a very dangerous thing. It's one of the one of the joys, you know, like the queen or the king of any country, they get to sit on a throne and they go in a carriage or on a Rolls Royce. They get all right, the, right. the uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the goodies. <laughs> that's right, that's right. But, you know, with goodies comes responsibility. So with power... You have their drawbacks. The British, unfortunately, have no power, but they got the ceremony. Now, the other countries, like the U.S., Russia, and China, the big superpowers, so to speak, they want, for their largesse, or for their goodness, or for their protection, they want to be paid. And the Russians are no different than the U.S. I mean, when the U.S. was unhappy with the Egyptians, cut off the spigot, bingo. No weapons, no arms, no goodies for you. Venezuela... You don't act the way we are? No good. Central America? The same. The same thing in the Russians. The Russians are identical to any superpower. The Chinese, the same. They're squeezing the Filipinos because they want the route to China across the, from the Gulf to be under their control. Every major superpower dreams of controlling the sea lanes and controlling the areas and so on. And the Russians are doing it now because they have the ability. So the question is, who do you want to control the valves to your spigot? And I believe that the solution is always to let the little countries have the spigots that have nothing to gain or lose, just business. Business is just business. And we don't pass judgments about global affairs. The big energy uh, controlling countries don't like that. 
just a final thought yeah. before the yeah. show is over here. I know right. the time has gone really fast. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, there's a lot to cover. You covered yeah. a lot. Yeah. What 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 is the what is the effect if Israel is supplying becomes a major energy supplier to Europe? What's the effect on the European mentality or perception of Israel? Is there a shift? Going oh, I, I, listen. If I give you an allowance every week, you're going to start saying, Hey, Dad, you're allowed. I don't like you. No, suddenly you're my best friend. You got your allowance, right? That's it. The same thing is with it. He who gives, gets. Well, it's been a fabulous discussion. There's more to it. We'll have to do another show uh, in, in the future. Uh, you've been watching Think Tech Asia. I'm your host, David Day. Stay with us. We'll be back with you again next Thursday at 4 o'clock. And Rafi, when is your show time again? Mondays, 3 p.m., Boyd's Bio Briefings. And you won't get this kind of geopolitical discussion from Rafi at his own show, So, but I'm going to get him back here on Think Tech Asia. Sure. Thank you so much. And I want to say, as we were talking, the Yemenite ambassador called me up. He invites you to spend a weekend in Yemen. Invites you? No, you. He said, bring your guest along with you to uh, <laughs> Yemen. He just said, what, a just, weekend for two. Just what I need. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a good night.